Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Kartik Krishnire. And last week we did an overview of Fort Zachary Taylor in Key West. This week we're privileged to be joined by Dr. Angela Zombeck, uh, who is a professor, associate professor of history at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. And Dr. Zombeck is going to be joining us for uh, two more podcasts in the coming weeks uh, after we finish our fourth series. So uh, actually, both of those will probably air in early January. Uh, but today, she's joining us uh, to discuss uh, her study of Fort Taylor and its significance in the Civil War, which is really, really fascinating stuff. This is a real treat for our listeners. So... Um, here we are with uh, Dr. Angela Zombeck of UNC Wilmington. So you've written about Fort Taylor and Key West extensively, and uh, Fort, Fort Zachary Taylor um, State Historic Park is one of the most visited and most uh, talked about uh, state parks in, in the Florida State Park system. Uh, but even uh, all of that that we know about it, I, it feels like the history is underplayed because, um, as as you describe, uh, as early as 1856, everybody north and south, everybody in the United States realized how strategically important that fort was uh, if there were going to be hostilities. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is something that's just a dominant idea in the antebellum period. And I think, I mean, first we have to think about this as an island. I guess we're kind of used to, and that's an obvious statement, I realize. But the reason I say that is because now, of course, we have the land connection, the overseas highway, the A1A that runs there. Whereas in the 19th century, you could have truly considered this to be a part of the United States, but apart from the United States. So... In the antebellum period, the United States is um, establishing itself as a nation and really deciding what that means. It realizes, again, that it has to defend its coasts and defend its commercial interests. And Fort Taylor, um, situated on Key West, became a really important point beginning in the 1820s. Um, First of all, when the United States acquires Florida in the 1820s, there's a naval station that gets, or a naval base, I should say, that gets established there. And as time goes on, the United States government believed that it needed to fortify the island. And the reason is because of the Florida Straits. So as westward expansion continued and more and more Southerners, Southern slaveholders were going out into the Western territory the Gulf of Mexico and the Florida Straits became absolutely crucial for shipping. So on average, about 4,000 ships passed through the Florida Straits annually prior to the Civil War. The entire cotton crop of the South came through the Florida Straits. And so the idea is for the federal government to not only fortify Key West in order to protect that route, but also to communicate its stance of isolationism. So the United States government built coastal fortifications in three phases, one shortly after the revolution, the second one approximately around um, the era of the War of 1812, and then the third system of defense began like 1840s-ish. And Fort Taylor was one of these um, third 
system of defense fortifications. So plans for it start in 1844, and then U.S. Army engineers began construction mid-1845 to not only protect the Florida Straits, but also to safeguard Key West's natural deep water harbor. So back at that time, Fort Taylor was actually on a shoal that was about 440 yards from the island of Key West. And so it had to be connected by bridge. Construction was not easy um, due to just the tropical climate and also due to hurricanes um, that struck, the first of which was in October of 1846. So if we fast forward to the time of the Civil War, in 1861, on January 10th, when Florida seceded, Fort Taylor's technically not complete. But officials in Washington, it's really interesting to read the writings of people in the Lincoln administration, um, people like Winfield Scott, general in chief, who believes that Key West's important inclu- importance, including Fort Taylor, was wholly national. So he and others believed that if Fort Sumter fell, that's only a point of honor, which is directly related to the fact that South Carolina was the first state to secede. But the Lincoln administration and other individuals within the Republican Party, like Henry Raymond, who was also the editor of the New York Times and was essentially a founding member of the Republican Party, believed that the United States absolutely had to hold Fort Taylor and hold Fort Jefferson and the Tortugas. Because if it didn't, the United States would be vulnerable to outside attack. And they also feared that if those forts were relinquished, the Confederacy might be very successful at gaining European recognition, which is something that they obviously did not want. And so these places become key sites. And General John Brannan was captain of the 1st U.S. Artillery, who was stationed there um, with that unit, was essentially desperately waiting orders from Washington to tell him what to do about Fort Taylor and about Key West while Florida's secession convention was going on. And so as soon as news of Florida's secession reached Key West on January 12, 1861, Brannon took it upon himself and also had the urging of Captain of Engineers Edward B. Hunt to take his artillerists under the cover of night and station them into Fort Taylor. They raised the flag and they claimed both the fort and the island for the United States for the duration of the war. So General Scott, uh, you mentioned him already, he had... uh, developed this anaconda plan to, to try and choke uh, the Confederacy. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, Key West was the kind of the, the focal point uh, or one of the focal points in that plan. So um, it, it, t- talk a little bit about that, because obviously uh, Fort Jefferson and Fort Taylor represented the anchor on the maybe the entire Union War strategy from the beginning, something that's not really appreciated when you talk about Civil War history. Absolutely, yeah. So when the Anaconda Plan gets authorized in April of 1861, first of all, it's a work in progress, just like everything else that is related to the Civil War, (laughs) because the federal government was, we don't think about it this way, right? Because the federal government now is 
it's huge. It's a huge bureaucracy. In the Civil War era, it wasn't like that. And so it's actually kind of a risk um, to declare a blockade. And John Brannan and his um, correspondence with his brother really highlights this point where he says, you know, James Buchanan, his secretary of war, John Floyd, was a Southern sympathizer. And before he had resigned his post in December of 1860, he, you know, sent the Navy to various corners of the world. And so the point is that there's this blockade that gets declared it essentially has to clear international law, which at this point the British are, you know, basically enforcing. And in order to do that, it has to be effective. So for it to be effective, it needs to have ships. And so the blockade kind of unfolds year by year. In 1861, it's relatively insignificant, and it's divided between the Atlantic and the Gulf. By the time the war goes on into 1862, we actually get the different squadrons. So you have the North Atlantic Squadron, the South Atlantic Squadron, the East Gulf Squadron, and the West Gulf Squadron. And so Key West becomes the headquarters of the East Gulf Blockading Squadron. And so there's, that being the case, there's an added layer of importance that Key West does not fall from Union hands. Because if it does, it puts that headquarters in jeopardy along with obviously the naval station, the coaling station, the deep water harbor, and the control of the straits. Fantastic. So uh, thank you for that. That's uh, that's a real look at Fort Taylor, which we've covered before on this podcast, but a much more in-depth look at its importance in the Civil War era. So thank you for that. And before we let you go on this episode, where can our listeners and readers find your work? If right now, well, actually I've been for a number of years now working on um, a, a book manuscript, the title of which is Stronghold of the Union, Key West Under Martial Law. I'm right now at the stage where I have a full draft and it is being revised. And so I hope to have it back to the press. It'll be published by the University of Florida Press. So I hope to have it back to the press um, by the end of the summer of 2024. And it should then be in print in 2025. Um, Otherwise, in the midst of all this, I've written um, several blog posts, some of which um, were for the American Battlefield Trust and the outlet Emerging Civil War. So I've gotten the the word about Key West and the Civil War out there. Um, There's also a forthcoming article that I have for the Journal of Military History that looks at the occupation of um, Key West and Fort Jefferson in the Tortugas and what the experience of being on occupation duty was like for Union soldiers. That's fantastic. And you'll be back with us uh, twice in January. Uh, two very uh, interesting topics we're going to cover with Dr. Zombeck then. Uh, but next week, we continue our fourth series. We're beginning to wrap it up here uh, in the next few weeks. And then, as I said, early January, uh, we'll be back talking about some macro topics, uh, uh, two of which we will have Dr. Zombeck on for. And then later in January, Robert Pucciolato will rejoin us uh, to discuss uh, some other topics uh, in our continuing narrative and discovery of unique topics in Florida history. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back next week.